Hello, welcome to Cubs PS Plus, a Northside Numbers game, a weekly podcast that dives headfirst into the analysis of hot topics driving Chicago Cubs baseball. I'm your host, Mike Waller, a lifelong Cub fan, full-time baseball stat nerd, and sometime youth baseball coach. Thank you for being here today. I know you have a lot of choices. You can also find me on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube, all at Cubs PS Plus, a spin on the baseball metric OPS Plus. If you can, please take 10 seconds and drop a rating or a review on Apple, Spotify, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. If you've done that, thank you so much. Maybe you could share an episode with a friend. Just a few seconds on your end can help me get better and help other Cub fans find the show. You can also now help support the Cubs PS Plus podcast by going to cubspsplus.patreon.com. There are four support tiers that come with added perks, such as access to a private Discord discussion group, access to bonus episodes, merchandise discounts in the merch store that will launch in the coming weeks, and the ability to submit priority questions ahead of time for interview guests and more. Your support will help me keep this podcast ad-free. Welcome into episode 38. Without an interview guest this week, I actually have to talk about the Cubs, which is at least good since they won two out of three from the Mets, but it was kind of nice not to have to talk about them last week during that uh, the end of that two and seven road trip. This week, we talk about the return of Kyle Hendricks, get into some bullpen discussion, and then get into what the fans are mad about, especially the curious case of Miles Mastroboni. Are you ready? I'm ready. Here. We. Go. Oh, the Cubs. The Cubs, the Cubs, the Cubs. All the hope, all the dreams, all the torture. It's all the things all the time. And with this season, it seems to be steps forward, steps backwards, sometimes more forward than back, sometimes more back than forward. Over the last few weeks, we've gotten rid of Eric Hosmer. The bullpen is changing. We're seeing more young arms come up. We're seeing Christopher Morrell get some run, and he's had a lot of success. This week, without a guest interview to kind of distract us from the main topic, I'm right back into all things Cubs. So this week was a big week. The Cubs came back home after a 2-7 and seven road trip that did not go well at all. And the Cubs got the series win against the Mets. They beat the Mets the first two, and then yesterday was Kyle Hendricks making his first major league start in about 11 months. And I thought I didn't I didn't see a lot of the game. I went back and watched highlights. My, I had a son that had a little league game last night and some family stuff. And then I saw the score before I hopped into it and decided not to subject myself till the wee hours of the morning with a ten to one loss. But I went back and looked at some of the highlights and I thought Hendricks looked okay. I mean, he's you have to set expectations. This is not going to be 2016, 2017 Kyle Hendricks. He's not going to be a Cy Young contender with a sub three ERA. But he does look like a guy who can still throw strikes, get weak contact, and hopefully he can serve as a fifth starter. I've seen a mixed reviews online um, and from the talking heads. I think a lot of people were pretty comfortable with his outing yesterday. Maybe he, the Cubs left him in a little too long, but he had pushed 80-plus in his rehab starts, so 86 pitches doesn't doesn't really seem like a big deal to me, but I could argue it either way. The last inning was not successful, so... Maybe you let him end in the 70s and, and uh, save him for his next start. But I've seen a lot of people thinking, hey, you know, I, I saw elements of the old Savage Kyle out there. Um, there are other people who were convinced he's washed. Uh, I'm not I'm not at all willing to declare that he's washed at this point. One start into, you know, a recovery after an 11-month shoulder injury. I think comparing and, and making any real determination based on how he pitched last year is short-sighted because he was pitching with that capsule capsular tear in his shoulder. And when a guy's hurt, he's not pitching his best. So I need to see more from Hendricks. Hopefully 
he'll be successful in his next couple starts, get himself back up, and, and he can be that number four or five starter the Cubs need him to be. To the bullpen, um, I think we're seeing a lot of changing roles, and I think we're right on the cusp of maybe really changing the face of this bullpen. Go back and go through any one of my podcasts really since the start of the season, and there have been a lot of complaints about roster construction. Luis Torrens, Edmund, Edwin Rios, Eric Hosmer, at times Trey Mancini, um, Michael Fulmer at times, choices made in the starting lineups every day. And there, a lot of the challenges have come because of decisions made when the season started. But this bullpen has really struggled. And if you look statistically, it's not actually a terrible bullpen. Um, it's actually averaged just slightly above. Where they've fallen down is late in close games. We've seen that time and time again. The Cubs are six and five, you know, six successful conversions and five failures on save opportunities. Although some of those are those saves that get blown in you know the seventh, eighth inning that are not you don't necessarily think of as the as the closer losing the save. But where they've really fallen down is tie games late, or the Cubs are within one run and they have a chance to maybe make a comeback, and then the bullpen gives up three um, and just kind of torches the opportunity. So that bullpen, one thing it had been missing is swing and miss. We talked about that earlier. Uh, we talked about that. I brought Greg Huss on this show from Northside Bound in the Cubs on Deck podcast. He and I talked about it a few weeks ago. Getting more swing and miss in this bullpen is really important in those leverage situations. And I think we're seeing now Michael Fulmer has had his struggles. He's kind of recovered more being back in kind of that middle relief role. And, and I think he'll probably stick there for the time being. We've seen Edward Alzali be pretty successful. Mark Leiter Jr. has been, frankly, better than I ever thought. I mean, this time last year, not this time last year, I had no podcast then, but toward in, in the second half of last season, even though I saw what Leiter, that Leiter was having success in the bullpen, I was not a big Leiter guy. I really, I was not surprised nor disappointed when they, you know, DFA'd him coming out of the season. He, I, I was pleased that he was able to clear waivers and get assigned to triple a and that he was going to stick with the cubs because he does have um success in the bullpen but this year he's been frankly a revelation he's got that splitter that's just killing guys i mean it's basically the lefty killer when the cubs were without brandon hughes for chunks of the season he became the lefty specialist um he did it again the other night he came in and struck out three straight met lefties heavily using that split um so that's been a really good pitch so he's been great so ozelay and and lighter have been the two big successes in the bullpen. Michael Rucker, I've been up and down on him. I've really never been high on Michael Rucker, but I talked myself into it earlier this season. He went through a stretch of success. He was, again, pretty bad last night, although I could probably argue the Cubs left him in too long. He kind of he kind of wore that one for the team, I think. I'm really excited to see Nick Birdie. He came in. It's a great story. You know, Chicago area, Illinois kid. Um, come in, had a rough first outing, but then had a good second outing, and you know, gets the ball up there 9,900 miles an hour. He struck out Kyle Schwarber on a 101-mile-an-hour fastball that was the fastest pitch a Cub has thrown since Aroldis Chapman was in the bullpen in 2016. So he, he's been reason to be excited, although unfortunately this week he had to have an emergency appendectomy. Um, we'll see how long that's out. I mean, an appendectomy is cutting into the, you know, the core muscles of your body. So he's going to have some recovery time after that. It's Relatively minor, but there is still, you know, they still have to get through that stomach lining to get to the appendix. Um, I would imagine he's going to be out probably at least, you know, three, four weeks bare minimum and quite possibly a month, month and a half. So hopefully he can come back. But Jeremiah Estrada has, has pitched pretty well. Um, 
if I'm going to point out to a negative on Estrada, it's just his fastball. You know, his walks have been a little bit up, but then his ex, when he gets hit, he gets hit pretty hard. But that strikeout rate, man, he's 43, 43% strikeout rate at this point. Um, that's exciting to have in that bullpen. And Ross has said he's going to come up and start getting more leverage. And we saw that against the Mets. I mean, he came in the other day with the bases loaded and nobody out. It was, it was the sixth inning, but I don't care what inning it is. You come in in a close game with the bases loaded and nobody out. I mean, that's a leverage spot. He came in and he got out of it just allowing the one run. Um, that was great to see. Um, Julian Mer- Merriweather has been throwing really well lately. He's another guy who probably needs to start seeing more leverage. He throws hard, gets it up 98-99. We've talked about him a couple times on the show. And you start remaking this bullpen. And, and Cody Hoyer, who the Cubs got along with Nick Madrigal for Craig Kimbrell in the trade in 2021, he had looked really, really good once the Cubs got him in that 2021 trade. But then he tore his UCL in September of 2021 and had to have Tommy John surgery. And he is making a great recovery from Tommy John. He's actually ahead of recovery schedule. I personally was not expecting to see him. I thought the all-star break was reasonably optimistic and thought there was a chance it might even be later than that, but he has healed fast. He's just about done with his maximum third. uh, was just about done with his rehab stint. I think he's probably ready to come up right now, but the Cubs have put him on the 60 day injured list and that doesn't expire until next week. So he has to wait out that 60 days before he's eligible to come up. He's a guy who gets it up. He's in the minor leagues. He's been getting it up 97, 98, you know, miles an hour pretty consistently throws hard. He's always had good stuff. I wouldn't expect him to come in and be the Cubs lockdown closer day one. As soon as he's back. I mean, you look at a number of guys, look at pretty much everybody that's had Tommy John surgery. A lot of them do come back and maybe even come back stronger than they were before. But when they first come back to baseball, when they first come back to the bigs, they just don't quite have that feel. You know, he hasn't pitched in a major league game since September 2021. So he's going to have his adjustments. He's going to have his, you know, kind of getting used to things, reading hitters again, getting feel consistently for all his pitches. But he's checked off all the boxes in the minor leagues. He's pitched. He's pitched regularly. He's pitched on back-to-back days. He's gone more than an inning. Um, So, so far, he's checked all the boxes without setbacks. So, you know, knock on wood. Hopefully he's able to get back here soon. And again, that's another power arm that gets a lot of swing and miss to put at the end of that pen. And now suddenly, instead of Fulmer and Boxberger who are struggling and, you know, a little bit softer throwers in there, the Cubs can go out there and they can stack up in whatever order. Alzali and Leiter and Hoyer, hopefully Nick Birdie when he comes back, Jeremiah Estrada, Julian Merriweather. And another name to keep an eye on is Daniel Palencia. Palencia at the time seemed like the throw-in in the Andrew Chafin deal back in 2021. The Cubs got outfielder Greg Dykeman, who came up to Chicago pretty quickly and spent a lot of time at AAA. Well, Dykeman didn't really pan out. He was eventually traded away anyway. Uh, but Daniel Palencia has just tremendous stuff. And I think one thing that sends me a bit of notice that the Cubs are still playing for this year is the Cubs have wanted him to be a starting pitcher. He came over as a starting pitcher. He's electric as a starting pitcher, and he's had good success in the low minors as a starting pitcher. But for him to progress to become a major league starting pitcher is, you know, he was in double A and there were guys ahead of him and, you know, stretching him out, controlling all those pitches. Well, now he's able, the Cubs have made him a reliever and they've put him on the fast track promotion 
all the way up to AAA Iowa now. So he's able to just take advantage of his massive arm, his huge velocity. He's up pushing 100 miles an hour. He's just got nasty movement on his pitches. And the Cubs have identified him as somebody who could help the bullpen right now. So I think he's going to do some time in AAA, see a little bit, see how the new bullpen shakes out as we add Hoyer to the list. One thing to watch out for is Cody Hoyer being on the 60-day IL is not taking up a 40-man roster spot. So when he comes back, he's somebody from the 40-man is going to have to go. Um, one thing, that I've not heard this anywhere from the Cubs, but I've not heard a lot of updates on Brad Boxberger. And he went on the IL with a forearm strain. And sometimes a forearm strain is just a forearm strain, but there are a lot of times where a forearm strain is actually really a leading indicator of a major elbow problem. So I hope that's not the case. But if it is, we may wind up seeing Brad Boxberger go to the 60-day IL and and open that spot for Hoyer. Otherwise, somebody on the 40-man has to go. Um, One candidate might be Michael Rucker. There might be a position player that goes, but then maybe Michael Rucker gets optioned back to Iowa. So they're going to have some options. And then as as they look at Daniel Palencia, if they think he's ready or if they think Cam Sanders at Iowa is now ready to come up, none of those guys are on the 40-man roster. So again, it's people from the 40-man would have to go. Um, that's not an obstacle. It's been done. The Cubs have done that plenty. They just did that with Nick Birdie and, you know, recently. And, and uh, so I don't think it's an obstacle, but it's something that is a consideration as you're looking to go up. You're not just going to make that quick switch. Another thing pitching wise to keep in mind, as far as the active roster goes is the limit on options. So the way options work is players get three, what are called option years that would allow them to be optioned from the major league roster to the minor league roster. Last year, Javier Assad came up, and once he came up, he stayed. So he did. He was never optioned back to Iowa, so he did not use an option year there. He has this year, and that's fine. He gets three of them. But within each option year, you can only go down five times. And the next time that Javier Assad goes down will be the fourth. So after the fifth time, the player has to go clear waivers. And I don't think Javier Assad is a guy at this point that would clear waivers. So the Cubs are going to have to carefully think about how they use him. If they do send him back down soon, then he may just have to stay down there for a while. Or when he comes up, that may just be it. He may be a guy who's just up for the rest of the season. I think at this point it's it's fine. I think they're looking at Albert Azale is potentially being the closer, certainly being a regular back into the bullpen arm. And with Keegan Thompson having his struggles and being sent down to Iowa and in his first outing struggling pretty mightily there, I think Javier Assad may just be that swingman, spot starter, multi-inning relief weapon hopefully the Cubs can deploy. He's had pretty good success there. He was great in the World Baseball Classic. He was great in his last outing with the Cubs, uh, piggybacking off of, a pretty sure it was a Tyone start. So this bullpen hopefully will start to spin a lot of swing and miss, and that's what I'll be looking forward to as we go through this Red Series. Um, the Red Series is a series the Cubs, I don't want to say they have to win a series in May, but this is a series they really should win, and it's going to be pretty impactful if they don't. They're right now battling for last place. They're still far from out of it in this, what's frankly a pretty crappy division in the NL Central. But they just beat the Mets two out of three. They've got the Rays coming up. They've got a tough West Coast trip coming up. So beating the Reds at home is something you really just have to do. And so they've got Steele going today. Game starts in about an hour, hopefully right after I finish recording. And then they'll have Tyone going tomorrow. Hopefully he can rebound. It sounds like one of the things I saw with Tyone last week in in 
talked about and, and tweeted about it is one of the things that's really changed this year was his increased use of the cutter. He's up to 28% of all of his pitches being through the cutter as opposed to 11% last year. He's been getting more swing and miss off that pitch, but lefties are crushing it and it's given up a lot more hard contact. He's not consistently locating it. Um, one thing the Cubs have talked about is changing up his pitch mix. So um, I guess we'll see. One thing I would imagine is probably a little bit less use of the cutter, maybe a little bit more foreseeing, a little bit more slider. Um, we'll see how it goes. Hopefully he can kind of recover because he's a guy who's shown he can be a quality major league pitcher. You know, he's not going to be an ace. He's not going to lead your staff, but the Cubs don't need that. The Cubs have Justin Steele and the Cubs have Marcus Stroman right now. They just need Ty- they just need Tyone to be able to go out there, eat some innings, get to the sixth inning of games consistently and keep the Cubs in ball games. I think he's totally capable of that. If he has another bad start, the Cubs are really going to have to start looking at options. I don't know if if they'll have to examine maybe, maybe something's not right with his groin injury still, or I don't know. But if they if he has another bad outing like he's had the last couple, Cubs are probably going to have to have some serious discussions about some alternatives. So this team now, as they head into the series with the Reds and, and the series against the Rays coming next, you know, fans are pissed. I get it. I'm a little bit pissed too. Cubs have blown a lot of winnable games. They've been in, you know, they're something like two and ten still in in uh, one run games. They did get a two run win the other day, so that was that was good. But you know, they're still way under five hundred in one run games. And if you look around the metrics, you know, I talked about it a couple weeks ago, the run differential is still solid. If you look at a lot of the Cubs peripherals, you know, the, the Cubs have a good solid WRC plus as a team. I mean, they're a good offense. They're a fairly good offense. They're a good pitching staff. Even as I said earlier, the bullpen is not terrible. It's just not getting it done in the right spots. And so every, it seems like, you know, every time something happens, everybody's just right now just waiting for the next shoe to drop. This is not a fun time to be a Cub fan. So the fans are pissed and the primary targets have been, you know, David Ross, Eric Hosmer was a huge target, but he's he's gone now. Michael Fulmer was a big target, but he's not getting those ninth inning spots anymore. So some of those targets are gone. And one interesting target that I'm going to talk about this week is um, I'll get to in a minute. But with Ross, I'll, I'll step back and talk about him. One of the challenges we've seen with Ross, and I don't think it's necessarily a Ross problem. Jed Hoyer even came out this week and said, you know, when it comes to bullpen usage, I see Ross getting killed pretty consistently on that. But Jed Hoyer came out this week and said that, you know, what we've done the last couple of years trying to bring in those vets and get them to turn around just hasn't worked the way it has the past couple of years. And so he said that the bullpen issues are way more on the front office than they are on Ross. And I would tend to agree with that. I think, you know, the Cubs have had great success with Ryan Tapera and Andrew Chafin and David Robertson. And none of those guys and, you know, um, Chris Martin, Michael Givens, Michael Givens probably came in with the best pedigree, best recent pedigree of those guys. But none of those guys came in, you know, as as a lockdown closer, as a major bullpen piece that, you know, 15 teams in the league were all competing to get. But in each of those guys, the Cubs saw something that they were able to tweak and turn or add a pitch and get great success. And then, unfortunately, because those teams were bad, those guys were all traded off. Um, When you look at the bullpen this year, it seemed like in the off season, I, I said it, other people said it, that, you know, while Michael Fulmer and Brad Boxberger were not sexy pickups, uh, maybe Fulmer was a little rated higher than Boxberger, but neither guy was a particularly sexy pickup, but they've 
been right in line with the kinds of guys the Cubs were picking up before. You know, Andrew Chafin had a terrible year in Arizona the year before the Cubs picked him up. David Robertson kind of came to Chicago to rejuvenate his career. You know, he's mid-30s, and he had been fading in performance, and whatever it was the Cubs did work last year, and he's continuing it on this year. So I know everybody, a lot of people wanted the Cubs to spend more on the bullpen. We can go back and argue that they should have, but the guys they picked up just haven't worked. So I do agree with Jed that that's largely on the front office. You know, Ross only has so many choices in the bullpen. The other choice is, is lineups. And early in the season, there were some lineup construction issues that were really, we've talked about on the show, driven by roster decisions. You know, the fact that they opened the season, I understood why Christopher Morrell was in the minor leagues. I understood why Nelson Velasquez was in the minor leagues to a point. Um, I would have understood it more if, if, say, Suzuki had been healthy. Um, But starting the season with Edwin Rios, who rarely played. Starting the season with Luis Torrance, who rarely played. I know why those guys or at least I think I know why those guys started on the roster. Torrens in particular had no options, and the Cubs liked him in spring training, so they wanted to see if that bat would play. But he rarely ever cracked the lineup. And Rios didn't play a whole lot, which was interesting given the fact that third base has kind of been one of the few spots that's not locked down. When you look at this Cubs roster and the guys who are available to fill roles, you have um, the outfields locked up as long as everybody's healthy and Cody Bellinger is not right now. So center field is open, but Ian Happ, Cody Bellinger, Seiya Suzuki are starting the vast majority of games when they're all healthy. Nico Horner and Dansby Swanson have the middle infield on lockdown. So the, and the catching is being done by Gomes and Barnhart. Now I could start to argue that Miguel Amaya better be pushing for some playing time. Although right now I'm just happy he is playing. One thing he has not done since 2018 is play a full season. So I like that he's, I like that he's playing every day. I'm okay with him playing every day in Iowa because he probably would not be playing every day in Chicago. But if the Cubs front office were to flip and say, you know what, we could start Amaya two to three times a week in Chicago and maybe DH him one or two times, then then that gets my interest up. He's an excellent defensive catcher. He's got a great reputation working with pitchers. Um, just this past week, um, Kyle Hendricks was raving about him for about five minutes. So you know that there's a lot of quality there and he's just crushing the ball in Iowa. So I'm, I'm all for bringing him up, but he has to be playing more often than he's not. He's got to make up that lost time and stay fresh and continue to work on those skills. But so that really only leaves, you know, kind of a rotating DH first base and third base. And even first base. Now the Cubs have decided to make the move to Matt Mervis. And I know he's been struggling, but at this point he really has very little to prove at triple a. So I think he needs to get a little bit longer run in Chicago, even though he's been struggling. There have been some games where he's looked really good. I mean, he had a homer and a hard single the other day. He's had a bunch of loud outs, but he also has times where he is just lost at the plate. He's bailing out and and whiffing on sweeping sliders away from him. Um, One thing I think the Cubs maybe should do is maybe start slowing down how often he plays against lefties Um, just to – not that he can't handle it. He's hit against lefties before. He hit against lefties in the minors. But the way he's struggling right now, just put him in the best place to succeed. And you're going to play more right-handers than left-handers anyway. So he's going to be in the lineup more often than not that way. But he's playing a pretty solid first base, um, waiting for his bat to come around. But So that kind of only leaves third base. And third base has been a lot of Nick Madrigal and Patrick Wisdom. And Patrick Wisdom was absolutely scorching in April. 
And when he gets hot like that, you just got to let him play. Because when he's hot, he will hit everything and he will do it for a couple weeks. And then we'll see what we see now. We'll see a guy who strikes out a ton. He'll take some walks, so he does have some value that way. But um, he does play a pretty solid third base. And then the Nick Madrigal experiment, the third base has been, I guess, passable defensively. He's okay. Some of his metrics look okay because he's not making a bunch of errors over there. But they're just when you look at the third base position, you look at times where the third baseman is maybe playing deep and there's a ball down the line, or a, a time when maybe even if you're not deep, you, you still have to go to the line and your momentum is now taking you away from first base. Nick Madrigal just does not have the arm for that throw. Um, he won't. He may not throw it away. He may not embarrass you over there. But there are simply plays at third base that he cannot make, and, be, and it's largely due to arm strength. So this week we saw. A couple moves. We saw a lineup the other day against Kodai Senga where Ross decided to go righty-lefty, righty-lefty. So we had Talkman in there. We had Miles Mastroboni hitting second. And one thing that I discovered this week that I hadn't uh, necessarily expected to see was the amount of absolute vitriol out there that's still there from Miles Mastroboni. So Miles Mastroboni is going to be the talk today. I don't understand why fans hate him so much. Um, I actually look and think he's a fairly interesting player. I think he's a guy who was misused early in the season. So when he, he made the opening day roster and he was say a Suzuki out, he is a guy who's versatile. He can play every infield position. He can play in the outfield and he's played at all of those. He's played six positions for at least 45 games in the minor leagues. So he is a versatile defender who can play some outfield. But there was a play, and I think it was the second game against the Brewers, where there was a bloop that was probably catchable in right field. It was certainly catchable in right field, but he didn't make the play. He didn't make the right read on it off the bat. Um, maybe he just made a bad play that day. Maybe it's because he's a natural infielder and, and doesn't make the first best move always as an outfielder. But either way, he didn't make that play, and that wound up leading to a run, and the Cubs lost a close game, and he kind of drew the fans' ire. And then when he was up the first time, he didn't hit much, um, walked a few times. I think he had two hits, um, but just didn't have much success. And so he was not a popular player. I don't think uh, his name doesn't many favors. I think fans like to play a lot of games with his name, but we won't do that here. Um, but let's let's talk about Master Boney. So I think he's he's a guy I want to spend some time on today. So if we go back to last October, the Cubs came off a season where they were never really expected to compete. Um, I think the I think most of us thought the absolute best case scenario was maybe pushing for a 500 season and catch some lightning in a bottle. That didn't happen. They were pretty much out of the race in May. Pretty much by this time last year, they had no shot. Um, so the Cubs had a revolving door of let's see if guys are dudes. So you know we get, we saw more Frank Schwindel and found out he wasn't. Rafael Ortega wasn't. Um, Nick Madrigal couldn't stay healthy. He did have a run in August where he was absolutely hitting the crap out of the ball. Was I bet for that stretch in August he was probably hitting 340. Um, when Nick Madrigal can do that, he he brings value. If he's not hitting 340, he doesn't walk. He doesn't bring a ton defensively. He's not. I'm not going to say he's slow because he's not. He's a little above average on speed, but he's not lightning fast. And the fact that he doesn't walk and he doesn't have any pop. You know, it really limits his value. He's got to hit 310, 320, 330 or higher to really have that value. And the Cubs brought in Zach McKinstry, a left-handed hit, left hitting, versatile player from the Dodgers. 
They got him in the Chris Martin deal. They still had David Bodie. You know, he had a long injury rehab last year, but came back and hit the ball pretty well. And we've seen David Bodie. We've seen that he can play all over the infield. He can play a little outfield if you need him to. And so it became a look in this offseason. And Christopher Morel goes in that mix because he doesn't really have a natural home. Um, Third base is his natural position, but he hardly ever plays there. So it's pretty clear at this point that the Cubs don't like what he offers at third base. Um, I could argue that the way he's hitting right now, let's start figuring it out. I I hope he's taking ground balls every day, working on it. Um, But right now he's clearly not in their plans at third base. So coming into the offseason, there was kind of a glut of middle infielders. Then I think everybody kind of knew they were going to, the Cubs were going to go after a shortstop and signing a shortstop as the Cubs did with Dansby pushes Nico Horner to second base. So that means shortstop and second base are effectively closed. Now there's still need for utility infielder. We saw Dansby miss a little time with an injury earlier. Nico Horner just had an IL stint. Guys need days off. So you still need guys who can play those positions. But for the most part, on a day-to-day basis, shortstop and second base are largely off the table. And so it was a question of, like, who's going to stick? And the Cubs gave Zach McKinstry a ton of opportunity last fall, uh, late last summer, last fall. Never really hit. Um, and they kept him. And, and ultimately, he just he just didn't do enough. So the Cubs let him go. And he's, he's having great success with Detroit. I mean, I, think, I don't think the fact that he could play was really ever in question. Um, he's a guy who had numbers where he, where he hit all through the minor leagues and he just, he couldn't break through in LA and in LA, it seemed like a playing time problem because he was up on some of those loaded LA teams with Trey Turner and Justin Turner and Gavin Lux at second base. Like there just wasn't any place to get any kind of consistent opportunity. So fast forward to November and it's rule five draft season and teams are looking at their roster, trying to figure out who in their system they need to protect and who they're able to maybe move off their major league roster to protect some of those guys. And Miles Mastroboni, while the Rays liked him at one point, he was he's has spent time as a top 30 prospect in their system. They develop a lot of guys like him. They develop a lot of versatile players who are able to play all around the field, who draw walks, they're patient hitters, they're good contact guys. And so they had a number of players and they decided that Miles Mastroboni was maybe a guy that could clear off their 40 man um, to make space for another guy. And so the Cubs were able to get him from the Rays in exchange for Alfredo Zaraga, who spent time last year low A, Myrtle Beach, and then high A, South Bend. And he had some success. He didn't pitch a ton of innings, um, 18 two-thirds. He had a you know a whip around one and a half kind of for the most part. You know, he's a, he's a 21-year-old right-handed relief pitcher in low A ball, so he's got some upside potential, but you know he's not somebody who's – going to be forcing his way on the major league roster anytime soon. And so far this year, that's reflected. It, you know, high A, Tampa is again using him as a reliever. You know, he's thrown 21 two-thirds innings. He's got a whip of, you know, just under 1.3. He's striking out 12.5 batters per nine, but walking almost five. Um, 332 ERA. So he's, you know, he's he's doing okay, but he's a now he's a 22-year-old in A ball. So... Again, not not a huge price to give up for somebody like Miles Mastroboni who can help at the major league level. So we look at Miles' current numbers right now. He's been struggling. But when you really dig down into it, I hear a lot of people saying, you know, why is he even on the roster? Why is he here? He's terrible. The reality is, and we'll talk about this more in a minute, but he has a whole, as of yesterday, he had 60 major league plate appearances, period. He had 17 with... 
Tampa last year, late last season, and he's had 43 so far with the Cubs. That's not exactly a huge sample size. So if you've got a guy who's hit all through the minor leagues, you know, you want to see more than just 60 plate appearances, especially, you know, 43 in a season. So whatever we're judging on, judging him on with the Cubs, it's not even 50, 50 times up to bat yet. So where, you know, I think with, with Mastroboni, the, I think the hate comes from a couple places. One, I think he was horribly misused and it's not his fault in the early part of the season. He didn't play a strong right field, but he's, while he's played out in right field, he's always primarily been a middle infielder. And then you factor in he wasn't hitting. But when you look at guys with his, you know, kind of his pedigree with his player profile, you know, they tend to get, certainly tend to get more run than this. David Bodie has had years of opportunity. Nick Madrigal, since he's come to Chicago, has had a lot more plate appearances and work than Miles Mastroboni. Zach McKinstry got a lot more work than Mastroboni has gotten so far. And what I think Mastroboni brings to the table is he's he's a left-handed bat, which the Cubs need. He has a pretty good contact rate. He has a really good walk rate. You know, when you look at his numbers all through the minor leagues, he's consistently walking, you know, 10 to 13% of the time. He is when he's got in fact when he got sent down to Iowa after being starting the season on the big league roster, he walked almost 30% of the time. Small sample size, but it was still 77 plate appearances with a 28.6% walk rate. Um, his K rate is typically fine. He's typically been in the mid-teens to low 20s. He's a little higher than that at the major league level right now, but you know his, his numbers right now in Chicago are a 23.3% strikeout rate. In today's game, with the way relievers come in late, you can, you can live with that. And he has a little pop. So all through the minor leagues, you know, he didn't have a ton of pop until last year. Um, he started developing actually a little bit in uh, 2021. Not a ton of homers, but a lot more, I think a lot more gap doubles power. Had an ISO of 0.149. But he jumped to 2022 when he was with tri- in AAA with the Rays. And all of a sudden he hit 16 home runs. You know, his previous high was five in 2021 and four before that in 2019. And he had a 0.17 ISO. And then when he went back to AAA with Iowa again, again, no home runs, but a lot of doubles. He had a .164 ISO. And when you really break it down, you know, he's a guy, you have to compare him to who else the Cubs have in those spots. We're not talking about Miles Mastroboni to be the everyday starting third baseman. We're not talking about him to take Dansby Swanson's job or take Nico Horner's job. He's a guy who you want to be a bench bat. You want him to be available in favorable matchups. You want him to be able to, go in and, and hit the ball, take a walk, maybe pop a double, occasional home run, play some good defense, steal a base, because he's fast. He's fast. He's a good eye. He's patient at the plate. He's got a little bit of pop. You know, certainly that that's where I look at, at Nick Madrigal, and I think that that separates there. I think Master Boney is a better glove. He's faster, and he has more pop potential than Madrigal. Now, Madrigal is always going to have a lower K rate, but Mastroboni is going to take far, far more walks. And that gets to that point where I said earlier, you know, for Nick Madrigal to have that kind of top end value, he's got to be hitting 320, you know, 310, 320, 330 to make up for the fact that he doesn't walk and he doesn't give you a lot of pop. So you're not, you know, you're not getting a lot of doubles out of that. And Miles Mastroboni maybe won't make as much contact as Madrigal does. And in fact, he won't, but he's going to walk three to four times as often as. Magical does, which has value. 
one comp I've been thinking about as I've watched Mastroboni the last few last few weeks is I see a lot of Tommy Listella in Mastroboni. And when you look at the two, you know, they've they've actually got some similar history. So the Listella came up with the Braves and he started in the Braves system when he was twenty two, spent a number of years in the minor leagues. And, you know, when he was down there, he was pretty typically in that um you know, 110 to 120 at a couple peak years, you know, 150 WRC plus territory. He just like we saw in the bigs, he just hit everywhere he went. Um, he had a pretty good walk rate. He was consistently, you know, 10 to 15% walk rate. Um, now his K rate is lower than Mastroboni's, but some of that is the era. You know, he, when Listella was in the minor leagues, it was, you know, 2011, 2012, 2013. Um, the strikeout rates across baseball, minor leagues on up is significantly higher today than it was then. So Listella was a little above average. I would say Mastroboni probably projects is about average on strikeout rate, but they both have the good walk rate. They both have a little pop. And, you know, again, like Mastroboni, Listella never hit a ton of home runs, but he had a lot of gap doubles power and, and just made a lot of good hard contact. And when you look at it across the board, um, when you, Look at Mastroboni when he came up through the Rays system. You know, when I, when I look at his full seasons at a level, you know, 2016 in low A, he had a 110 WRC plus. 2017, he moved to high A, backed up a little bit. That was his, actually his worst minor league season, and his, he had a 100 WRC plus. 2018, he went to 125. 2019, he spent the bulk of his year in double A and had 121. Obviously, there was no 2020. He did, he did bump up to. Triple A a little bit at the end of 2019 did not do well, but we're talking four games and 12 plate appearances. So I'm not going to draw a lot of conclusions from that. Um, 2021 after COVID was over and minor leagues were back, you know, he went to double A and had a 129 WRC plus. And like I said earlier, upped his power really kind of for the first, first time in his career. He got a little taste of triple A at the end of that season where he had a 115 WRC plus. So last year he spent the whole year at triple A and he had a 126 WRC plus had 16 home runs as he added the power, he actually lowered his K rate. So that is another thing that draws my attention. A lot of times as guys add power, you know, they, you're trying to drive the ball, you're trying to swing harder, um, you're a little more aggressive, so that K rate goes up. In his case, it went down. So when I look at that, I see a guy who's hit everywhere he's gone. As he's bumped up levels, he's had a little bit of a struggle, but he's figured it out and then moved higher. And so what I see right now when I look at Miles Mastroboni is I see a guy who's kind of proven everything he needs to prove in AAA. And as he moves up, you know, we've got that little bit of a lull right now. Um, but we've seen him work some good at-bats and get some good walks. He, he walked twice against Kodai Senga. He's fairly consistently been on base. Um, he's had a couple hits. And even in the first part of the season when he was up and he was not getting base hits, he had some loud outs. He had a lot of line outs to the outfield. You know, really hard ground balls that were right at guys. And again, we've I've talked about it before, you know, hard hit exit velo is not everything, but it is something. You know, when you hit the ball harder, the defense naturally has less time to move less so they can cover less ground. So it does create more holes on the field for the ball to get through. And when you compare him to Listella, you know, Listella had those similar WRC pluses. Um but then when they first came up, so you know, right now Master Boney is struggling, but he's he is walking, you know, 10, 11% of the time. His strikeout rate is 20, 25%. Um, when you look at Tommy Lestella, when he came up, he was walking about 
eight nine percent of the time. So this is so the Cubs. So Listella had a little taste of the major leagues in 2014, kind of like um, Master Boney did with Tampa last year. Although Listella had a little bit more exposure with the Braves in 2014. Cubs got him in 2015, and then you know he kind of bounced up and down still, and he wasn't up. Well, he wasn't even really up full time in 2016 because he get sent down kind of famously on a roster crunch. But as you compare them, like when Listella came up and was able to establish himself and get that regular play, now he was always a bench guy. So unless somebody was hurt, he was not a starting a starter for the Cubs. But he would consistently be in that eight nine percent walk rate. He would strike out you know twelve thirteen percent of the time. He had a WRC plus a little over a hundred, often like right around one hundred five. And he was slashing, you know, had a, uh, sorry, a 135 ISO, and he was slashing 270, 350, 405. And so w- that's right in line with it, with what I think Master Boney can do. Um, I don't expect to see, you know, I'm not talking Miles Master Boney for the All-Star team. I don't think he's going to be a starter on this team in the very near term, certainly. But I think he's a guy that makes the bench better. And I really, I'll go back to it, I don't understand why fans hate him so much. Um You'll have an opportunity to share your opinion. I've got a tweet pinned to the top of my page that uh, I put up a couple weeks ago. I said, fans are grumbling a lot about Mastroboni now, but that's because he's basically been playing as a left-handed hitter, part of a platoon in right field. That's not where he excels. When he can get back to his utility role, I think people are going to have a completely different opinion of him. We'll revisit. So if you have opinions, you can go find that tweet and you can put your thoughts on that. But I think Master Boney's a guy to watch. I think he's a guy, if he can come off the bench, if he can pinch hit in some spots, if he can spot start and give good at bats. One thing he helped do against Senga was, and one of the reasons why Ross said he put him number two, um, was both for the the lefty aspect, but also he'll work a count and he'll be willing to take a walk. So he was definitely part of the Cubs pitching up or pushing up Senga's pitch count so that he was out of the game fairly early by the end of the he only finished five innings that day. So all I want from a guy on the bench is give a good at bat, give a consistent glove, have some speed, have some tools that the Cubs are finding useful. And I think Cub fans are going to come around on Master Boney. I know there's a point in time, too, with Tommy Listello where uh, he got sent down in 2016 and basically he refused to report. He said, if I can't be in Chicago with those guys, I don't even want to play baseball. And I was part of the... I was a fan who was not happy with that, and there was some fan backlash on it. But he did talk to some people and eventually came around. He did report, came back, and was a value, very valuable part of that championship run. It was a part of the 2017 team until the Cubs eventually um, let him go. And he had big success after. So I think Master Boney's a guy that, you know, if things break right, could get the right opportunity and could be a very successful hitter, kind of like we're seeing with McKinstry. But in the near term, I think he's definitely a guy to keep around, make that bench better, and be a very useful guy available for spot starting and you know key spots. So we'll see how that goes. Again, give me your thoughts. The Cubs are about to open against the Reds, and hopefully the Cubs can get this series. They've got they've already won two out of three on the homestand. If they can win this series and at least not get swept by the Rays, it'll be a winning homestand. And the way the Cubs schedule goes, they just have to survive in advance. Just keep hanging around in a crappy division, keep hanging around for that third wild card because the schedule in the second half of the season is much, much lighter than it is on the first half. So they got to survive this gauntlet and steal some wins 
that's where it hurts that they haven't banked some of the winnable games that they've had before. I'm looking at you national series and the getting swept at the Marlins, but, uh, yeah, that's how it goes. Baseball's baseball's a weird game. So just when you think a guy is done, he gets red hot. Just when you think a guy is amazing because he's red hot, he goes ice cold and teams do the same thing. You know, you're, you're hot until you're not and you're cold until you're not. And hopefully the Cubs can get hot soon. Thank you for joining me today. If you liked the discussion, or maybe especially if you didn't, please drop a rating and review wherever it is you get your podcasts. Or tell a friend about the show. Just a few seconds from you gives me great feedback and helps other Cub fans find the show. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube, all at CubsPS+. And check out the Patreon page, CubsPSPlus.patreon.com, to help support the show and keep it ad-free. This is Mike Waller, host of the Cubs PS Plus podcast. Every day with Cubs baseball or talking about Cubs baseball is a great day. Go Cubs!